Hi, my name is Logan Walker with the Walk of Life podcast, where I interview people, break down their lives, and get to know what they know. Jim Marine is a retired shake mill worker, counselor, corrections officer, and dispatcher, juvenile probation officer, and guardian ad litem. Ad litem. Mm -hmm. And active tree farmer and commercial (laughs) clam digger. (laughs) Welcome, Welcome, Jim. How are you doing today? today? This, this is going to be, be a, a very lighthearted one. There'll be lots of laughs. Okay. <laughs> We've had lots of good conversations in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have. Uh, so, Jim, the first question that I ask everyone who comes on is, like, after you pass away, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to say when they say, oh, do you remember Jim Marie? I, I'm not really sure. I haven't really thought of it. So I, I hope that people think of me as somebody who cares about others and willing to help. And that's, that's about, about it. Well, I can attest to caring about others. Uh, <laughs> You've helped me you. out a ton. That's for sure. In many things, basketball, life, mental health, all sorts of ways that you probably didn't even know oh no thank you i i appreciate that but i i sure got a lot out of you guys and i sure appreciated being able to uh, be on the basketball team and and get to spend time with you guys it was uh, real rewarding for me yeah i mean it's very refreshing <laughs> having not listened to jay all the time <laughs> Okay, so let's dive into it a little bit. So, what was your childhood like? It was great. I, uh, mom and dad, my sister, uh, I got a sister that's four years younger. And then my mom was a teacher at South Bend, uh, taught second grade and then kindergarten. And dad was a head maintenance man at the South Bend school. So your mom was a teacher, you said? Yes. Um, would that, do you think that changed you at all? Because I feel like my sister, she works so hard with her kids at such a young age. They seem to be learning so fast. <laughs> it's really like, wow. <laughs> like, I think that's really a positive person to have in, as a child. Yeah, mom spent a lot of time with us and was always teaching and uh, probably really had to work hard with me because I, <laughs> I wasn't a great student and I had to work at it. Did you help you in any like specific ways, like when you were struggling? No, I, I think both mom and dad, uh, just like your folks, they, you watch them get up every day and go to work and work hard and put in an honest day's work and try uh, really hard and they want to do things right. And so you emulate that. And that's, that's what I learned most. I wish I would have been able to keep and 
uh, have learned or uh, dad's skills because he was he could fix anything, he could build anything, and I I don't have that talent. One of them Swiss Army knives. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I I hope to have one of them one day too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right now I'm trying to pick up anything and everything, building fence. I'm mm-hmm. trying to pay attention to all the small details, which way the wire runs, which way to pull, which way not to pull. You know, mm-hmm. to to be able to make the fence long as last as you know last as long as possible. Yes. So it's like the little things you can pick up and like. <laughs> Like it's, I think it's super important to if for your parents to show what hard work is, it almost becomes natural to the child. You know, mm-hmm. if a child sees that growing up all the time, that's all they're gonna know. Right, right. So I, I, I just to parents growing up in today's influence, discipline, and hard work by just doing it. Because kids are watching all the time. <laughs> well, and I've really seen that here in our community. We've got some wonderful kids with uh, great parents. And and they do. They follow what their parents are doing. And they're not afraid to work. And that's important. Yeah. And I definitely see that a lot here. Kids searching for jobs, hardworking jobs that most people don't want to do, which is really special about our little community we have. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Well, uh, and there's not the opportunities that they had when I was a kid. You know, I went to work in the oysters when I was 12, and uh, you could go to work in a mill, uh, sweeping and cleaning and doing stuff when you were 16. And so there was... And you don't have that stuff. And haying on farms, now they've got those big round bales and where before you'd have big hay crews mm-hmm. and buck bales. And I stuff. actually really enjoy haying. I uh, did too. I I would come back from, I go to Alaska now, and it's like, man, I missed hay season. <laughs> you know, being out there with a bunch of guys just talking and having yeah. good conversations and working your butt off and it's hot out, you're sweating and you just feel like you've got a solid workout in for four or five hours. <laughs> That's right. I really enjoyed, uh, I was fortunate to have worked for Bob and Janie Rose all through high school and, and at times through college. Uh, and we would have crews of 10, 12 guys out there and it was fun. I, I really enjoyed farming and I was really, fortunate to have been able to work for them they taught me a lot bob was really good to me yeah i've heard a lot of good things about him i mean he's give dad tips on our new farm we were just you know i'm trying to just get into the true farm life with everything we have now which is it's a lot of work (laughs) well i'll tell you i think the perfect man or person is someone who could be a farmer because you have to be everything. I mean, you got to be a veterinarian. You got to be a mechanic. Um, you you got to not be afraid to work. You got to be an economist. Um, there's just there's so many things you you got to do everything your, yourself. Yeah, I'm, it, a recent study that I've seen, which is really scary, is the highest suicide rates is farmers. Really? It's I mean, you think about it. They're up at three o'clock every morning. They're working in the hay fields all day, all 
evening doing stuff, constantly fixing tractors. Like, all this stuff has to get done. There's no time for themselves. Oh. Like, I mean, there's no weekends. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the cows got to get fed no matter what day of the week it is. Yeah. Well, they're not going to survive. Which yeah. it's, it's just a scary thought to me to think about that. I, I never knew that. I was thinking that that was, yes, it's hard work, but it's your own land, your own cattle, you know, and you're doing things on your own. And, uh, yeah, that's an eye-opener. Well, I really think personal time is something that's needed in life. Time to escape, de-stress, just relax. I mean, it's for me, it helps me regain my focus and get ready for the week. That's why I try to relax on Sundays. Sundays is like the day of rest, and that's why probably, rest, you know, yeah. the church in tennis is that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that is why, to keep you mentally sharp and sane and all these things. Um, so... How do you think the kids compare um, today to when you were growing up? Like the pros they have and the cons they have? Well, I get upset when I hear people say how bad kids are. or the, And there are some problems. The problems are different. But I think kids have been the same throughout the years. We, you've got good kids and you've got kids that have trouble, but it's, I've always believed in the bell curve and you've got the same amount of kids that are doing well. You've got those kids in the middle and the the other kids that need some direction. And it's, you you don't hear of the good kids because they're taking care of business. They're keeping their grades up. They're involved with stuff. They're helping or volunteering. But the stuff that gets the news are the kids that are uh, getting in trouble. Yeah, and, and the media is so powerful nowadays with all it, of the technology and social medias. That I don't know why we focal, focus on the negative so much. Why don't, why don't we spread stories of kids excelling and going to college <laughs> and going – to trade school, which I don't – have you ever heard anything in the news about trade schools? No. Like, why don't, why don't we – why is this not spread as an option? Right. These are jobs that are never going to go away. Mm-hmm. There will always be, always be a place for an electrician, a plumber, a lineman, all these things that aren't even <laughs> – they're not shown in the media. And they're needed. Oh, it, it, the deemed essential workers. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I just, I don't know. That's, That's a tough, tough one to swallow. And I do think kids these days have different challenges. And I look at my grandkids and you and the kids that have recently graduated and stuff. It's a whole different set of problems. And I know that I have struggled as I got on in my years, just trying to stay caught up with what's going on. And as you can see, you hooked me up with the phone. I can't even do that. Yeah, and techn- technology, technology improves and changes, and changes so stinking fast. fast. It's, it's hard, hard to keep, keep up with. with. Even, even as a, as a young, young adult, adult that's grew up, up with, you know, you know like, I, 
got, got a phone, phone when I was 13 or 14, or 14 and, and had one ever, ever since, since. You know, you know? It's, it's, I can't, I can't even. <laughs> Someone was talking the other day. I, I, he was on a podcast or something. And they were asking about uh, places like collect calls. And that's, and that's what, what, do you even know, know have you ever heard of that? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would you'd you'd call, call home, home and you had three minutes, minutes and you could say, say your piece, piece and it was expensive. expensive. You went over, over three minutes, minutes then they, they really, really started charging you. So, so I could I call, call home once, once a week and, and you wrote letters. letters. <laughs> letters. Yeah. yeah. Where are you, Where are you? Calling, calling from? Well, yeah, college. When I was in Central. Yeah, I actually, I actually think, think there's, there's something special about writing letters, though. though. I, actually I actually wrote a letter. We did it for a class, psychology class, where it was Thanksgiving time, and I wasn't able to come home. And my teacher was like, okay, I want everyone to write a letter to their family or guardian or someone really important to you, and just tell them whatever you want to tell them. And I was like... Put from the spot, like, like we're supposed to write this right now. now. Like, like, I, I can't get 20 minutes to think about this. this. And, and so, uh, you know, I just spill all my guts out on it. And it, I, got I got a video of them reading it, and they're all tearing up and stuff. And because being, being away for months at a time, it's really miss your family, sure. And well, and that's what we've got graduation coming up, and that's one thing I like to do is write. A personal note to how that child has affected me and it's it's really interesting to do that it brings back memories and and wonderful feelings and the number of things i mean with you i i wrote you one uh all the kids that have been important to me or most of the kids that are you know play basketball or connected with football or something it's uh it, it's good it's good to do that. It's, it's good, good to, to reflect, reflect on, on that. Like, like writing notes. And for me, me if you write, write something down, down it's, it's in the brain. brain. No, that's, that's a good, good way to remember stuff. stuff. And Well, for, for me, me when I, I have, have to write it down so I can refer back to it because I forget. <laughs> <laughs> the things that come with age. Oh, that's good stuff. Um... What's um, the most influential things that your parents did to you in high school that that really shaped who you are and what your morals are? Well, we always went to church. Faith was important. And that was a pretty much a weekly thing. And again, as we talked earlier, just my uh, watching my parents, how they interacted, how they interacted with others, um, helping, because most of the time you help somebody else, somebody's going to be helping you sometime, because we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. Some of us have more weaknesses than strengths, <laughs> but uh, you, you know, you try to you know do what you can when you can. And uh, I think it was that just their example was most and and do the right thing. Mm. I mean, we all deep down know what the right thing is. In your gut, you, you know what the right thing to do is. Yeah. yeah. One question I have 
because you brought up faith. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel like your parents pushed that? No. It was, no. It, was an it was just, uh, that's just what you did. And, you know, there were times uh, through life where you, maybe you didn't go to church as much or you didn't, not that you really drifted away because I, I don't know about others, but when things go sideways, or are problematic, I draw on my faith a great deal. And that's when you get things focused. And with my job as a guardian ad litem and as a uh, probation officer, there were many times that uh, prayer was uh, tantamount in my life. Did you use faith as an influence with the juvenile kids? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't talk about it. I didn't uh, bring it in. But y- you do the right things. I've had I, I've had kids that have asked me about it, and I'll answer questions. But I never, uh, I, I never put it out there. So is that one thing you would stick to today, or you wish you would have brought it up more? Well. There's that line of not crossing between church and state, and you you have to because of the law you you can't do that. But people know, you know they can they can feel it, and so if they ask, we can talk. And I don't know, you know, I I don't know that much. I I can't quote scripture and stuff like that. But you just try to do the right thing. Right, you know he's in your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I get that same, and same it's sort been, of feeling. And it's been one thing I, I've gone into court before and I've had no idea what's going to happen. And as a guardian ad litem, I'm representing the best interests of kids who have been abused and or neglected. It's critical in their lives. And prayer has helped me. And it's, it's always come out. Mm-hmm. It's always come out. Maybe not how you think it's going to be, but it's it's been successful or in a way that's that's helped. Right. And so, and I believe, anyways, that that God's time is always always right. Mm-hmm. You know, it, mm-hmm. It'll eventually work out. Right, and you're absolutely right. It's it may not be. In, in the 10 minutes you'd like to have it done. Yeah. And in some cases in my life, there were things that happened that it took 10 years. And I realized, oh, that's why I went through those things and I can apply them now. Not that I enjoyed it. No, but... typically you don't. When, you, when you're able to learn something like yes. that and like you said, reflection, which I think is hugely important mm-hmm. and look back and your life and what you can then figure out things you've learned and then apply mm-hmm. in the future. I think that's one of the most crucial things to do. You know, and that's on that note, that's one of the things I always thought about. Well, especially with, well, mom and dad, you go through the whole life and they've, they've learned all this stuff and then it's gone, you know, and I wish I had that information and be able to, because I don't know, the day doesn't go by when I think, you know, if I could ask them this question or that question, they'd have the answer. And so, 
I don't have many people asking me that, that though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think one of the most important things you can do is pass all the information you, you can on your kids. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm about teaching my kids and the hope that they will know more than I do at my, at my age. And then they'll be able to pass it on to theirs and we'll, progressively slowly generation after generation it's smarter as human beings yes and if you know the world applied that then i think we're going the right direction (laughs) yeah no you're right and there's going to be some heavy things that are coming up now that you guys are going to have to deal with you know and i'm so thankful like your parents they've raised three wonderful kids and you guys are helping the community people around you uh, that's that's success to me mm-hmm. and giving back is especially to this community it's, it's really special yes you know? it is and my sister she's 10 years older than me and she sets a perfect example for me every day uh, i i really appreciate her and what she does and she doesn't think I'm watching. She's, she, she's freaking wrong. Because <laughs> I am, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn and learn from the people that are most influential in my life and have great morals that I, I uh-huh. you know, I'm parallel with. Uh, I think she's doing a really great job. Yes, yes, she is. Uh, okay, so Jim, going into college, wh- wh- where'd you go to college? Well, I went to Grace Harbor uh well, two years. My first year I was there and uh, ran track my sophomore year or my freshman year. And then uh, the draft came up and my number was 12. So I was going into the military uh, the second week of January in 72. And um I had my physical, and so I sat out because they said they were going to take me right out of school, but but turned out that wasn't true. But anyway, I work in a shake mill for that fall, and then Nixon called off the draft the last day of the year, and so I went back to school, but I wasn't real focused at that time. I was still working and going to school, and... I got an offer to go run at Central. So that's why I went over there the next year. And that was a great experience for me. So I got over there and Tommy Keck was playing football. And he talked me into playing over there. And so he met me, introduced me to uh, Coach Perry. And he (laughs) kind of... (laughs) Kind of spit snooze on my shoes and says, hey, you're pretty small. Probably ask you to tune your, your uniform in. <laughs> and then walked off. And I, I really enjoyed it. But I was just on the JV team. and But I, I liked that. And then I ran track over there for three years. Um, that was a wonderful experience. The friends I've made there are we're still in contact with the best man and Kathy, my weddings came from there or wedding came from there and the God parents to my, to Matthew 
is from there. So, and we see those guys at least once a, once a year. And what are they live close or far away? Uh, Matt's godfather is a or was uh, a scientist for either Kellogg's or General Mills or something like that. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, he was just a normal guy like us, <laughs> and then he. The guy just got excited about nutrition and health and diet and um, graduated from Central. Then he got his master's at Washington State, I think, and then got his doctorates at Iowa State and then is in Minnesota now and uh, and was inventing new Cheerios and stuff. <laughs> he used to send us boxes of the stuff he'd invent. <laughs> For Christmas. Hey, hey, free. It free was, food. it yeah. was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then uh, another buddy of mine. He's he's the like president of the Realtors Association over in Spokane, and we see him at least at state every year. He comes and watches our ball games, and then in. He, I ran track with him. Well, all these guys were from the track team. And uh, the other fella that comes is, he was our triple jumper, Willie Lampy. That guy, he triple jumped about at 49 feet and was our, he had the school record for quite a while. And the guy that's the godfather to Matthew, he threw the discus and he still has the school record. Wow. Yeah, he was... Big boy, six nine. <laughs> <laughs> so backtracking a little bit, um, when that letter came in from the draft, mm-hmm. and your senior number was close, mm-hmm. what what feeling did you get? What... Well, I went over. I knew I was going to do it. I thought, well, maybe I should go in and volunteer at the time. And uh, Dad went over with me to the recruiting station and I was going to get on the bus to go up to Seattle to go through my physical. And I was going to, I was going to sign up and dad said, why don't you wait a little bit and just see what it's like up there and then make a decision later. Don't rush into it. Dad was a twin and his brother uh, went in. He was a engineer on a Mitchell bomber in World War II. Oh, wow. And he was the last boy from their small town that was um, killed. And then uh, my mom's older brother, he was uh, in the Navy and he was on a ship called the USS Neosho. And it was a boat that they don't talk about on Battleship Row. They were tied up to the Oklahoma when the Japanese hit Pearl Harbor. Really? And it was a it was an oiler, which meant that there was um oh, this quit. There it goes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so um uh, the USS Neosho was an oiler, which meant it was a fuel ship, and they would go out and uh fill up all the big battleships and aircraft carriers and that. When the Japanese hit Pearl Harbor, they cut the line to the Oklahoma and got out 
and then got into another lock. They shot down one plane, but they had to get away because if they'd have been hit, everything would have gone up. Because they still, even though they had unloaded a lot of their fuel, they still had the fumes and everything in there. So then in the Coral Sea battle, they had just filled up the USS Yorktown. And then they and the USS Sims had gone off away from the fleet as they were trying to search for the Japanese fleet and vice versa. And the Japanese flew overhead and spotted the two and misidentified them. They thought they were a, a big battleship and, uh, and a carrier, and they sent everything at it. And they sunk the Sims. On that one, there was only about 17 survivors. And on the Neosho, they abandoned ship. And I think about half of them were saved. But there's a book that my, my uncle didn't survive. And so he was the first boy in my parents' small town uh, to be killed in World War II. Mm. And so... Uh, anyway, with that, you know, I, I listened to my dad, went up there and went through the physical and it was different. I, I saw guys that they took in that I thought, I don't know if I want him next to me. And then there was a kid from down at the beach. I had played ball against him for four years and he got out because he said he had a bad knee and he had hurt as a freshman. And that guy, anyway, they 4 would him. Pretty much took anybody. Well, they, I mean, I, I, they didn't take him. They, they kicked him out. Oh. They kicked him out. And uh, when you're 4F, they, they wouldn't have you. But they were taking other guys in. And I thought, man, that guy's, anyway. <laughs> so I waited. I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll go and do my two years. And uh, then it was, uh, I didn't have to go. So. Yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, to me, I see, you know, God's blessing everywhere. You don't, you never know what could happen over there. So, well, and I have some friends that came back, and it affected them deeply, mm-hmm. and and not always in a good way. Yeah, I mean, PTSD is one of the most oh. scary things that I can't even imagine going through, and I hope that nobody has to go through it and then yes. we, we find a way to fix it. If that's counseling, counseling. Um, I don't know if, if you heard about psychedelics. This. I've been hearing that now. Yeah. That, that they, they come into play because I think LSD, I think at one time was actually used years ago. They were using that as to try to help people. Well, they say it's supposed to cure all sorts of mental illnesses, like um, you know, like addictions. So if you're addicted mm. to drugs, they they're thinking this is the way out. You mm. know, and there's been a trial um, with LSD on Mormons because they were in the most selective group possible. You know, they don't drink coffee, they don't oh. drink alcohol, they don't do any of these things. So they went to try it on the most natural form. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know this, but the Mormon um, society, you can take LSD within the religion. Oh, that that is no, part I didn't of know that. that is it's okay. It's considered it's deemed okay. 
huh. So they they asked, you know, this group of Mormons, and it, I guess it had some crazy positive effects on them. Where oh, good. It restores brain cells and rebuilds ones that are disconnected and things like that. Mm. And I don't, I just, well, every time I hear about it, I'm like, really? Well, and the things that I've heard, and there was a young boy 40 years ago that dropped acid and it, he was never the same and died shortly thereafter. And I've heard of those that having the bad trips and, but I would imagine that those uh, uh, tests that they were running with, with them, it was guaranteed acid that, you know, that was, you know. Right. It was all clean. clean and right. And they engineered it so mm-hmm. it would kind of work in a specific way. And you would, you would get out all the negatives and you would go through. Well, I've heard. Um, using microdoses is a, is a way to do it. Like taking shrooms and microdoses oh. daily, that's a way to do it. But also, in a controlled environment. Yes, yeah. that's, that's a big thing too. If you're in somewhere uncomfortable, it leads to a bad trip. Mm-hmm. Or, but they would give them a heavy dose, and they would go through these experiences. It would restore the brain cells, and it's, it's, wow, I hear a lot of big names pushing it. Huh. Which I, I don't know if I would ever try it within the next 30 years because I don't know any long-term effects. And I don't trust a lot of people. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I I wouldn't advocate it, and I hadn't heard that. I've just seen the bad effects of people that I've known that have done it, and it hasn't turned out well. And if people are thinking about, oh, okay, I can cure my addiction with LSD right now, this it's seventy percent of LSD to buy on the bought on the street right now is like this fentanyl. Oh, that's the number seventy percent. So don't self medicate. <laughs> Wait till uh, it's uh, right. Actually approved and such. Yeah. So in college, school um, sport athlete. Um, what was your biggest physical and mental struggle in college? Well, it comes into play with what's important in life and how sometimes you get off track. My biggest, well, there are two things. I'm not very big. And uh, I ate and ate and ate trying to gain weight because I was the smallest guy on the football field and I got knocked around a little bit and just kind of goes off into another story, but something is impact me grateful uh, or not grateful, but uh, it impacted me greatly. I think I had come in from a practice and weightlifting and I had been eating like a glutton and I got on the scale. It was a big scale with a, you just stepped on it. It was just a small step to get on it and you could look at it. And my weight was down and I was angry. And this is horrible. How could this happen to me? I'm doing everything I can and I can't keep weight on. And I was over sitting at my locker and I was just mad at the world. And this kid came in on a scooter and he was um, 
a, a short guy and he couldn't walk, got off the scooter, got on the scale to weigh himself and then was having trouble getting back on that scooter. <laughs> that I, I started crying. But you selfish little guy. In reference to myself, I'm playing football. I'm running track. I can walk places. I can, and this kid is dealing with what life has given him. Not complaining, just doing it. And uh, we have to be very grateful for what we have and to work with what we have. And, and be thankful. Uh, that that was very impactful. I I I couldn't agree more. You know, it, I read a lot of personal development books, and one of the ones that I've seen come up multiple times is: as soon as you wake up in the morning, you grab a pen, you write down five things you're grateful for. Oh, mm-hmm. and. As, yeah, as, there's, there's always going to be someone else worse off in the world. Oh. No, matter, no matter how you are, how you, what you're dealing with, there's always somebody worse off. Well, you know, with Don and down at Thorbex and, and uh, Barb and Sandy and all the gang down there, and we joke and stuff about how tough it is, but we're all very grateful. And we mention it, that we're able to go down there and socialize. I work out. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I do think it is very important to get that social aspect in your life. And I think that for at least for me, I'm a very extroverted person. So mm-hmm. getting that social interaction is key for me and it boosts my energy every day. But I don't know how much you do working out there. <laughs> I, yeah, I think the physical the physical <laughs> benefits is, is very good too. Uh, yeah, when you when my daughter calls and tells me to quit leaning on the equipment, <laughs> yeah, you gonna break something? Yeah. yeah, there are people that want to use that. Yeah. <laughs> you sit there for long enough, someone will eventually come up, yeah. Yeah. or they just leave. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I think, think that's, that's really cool, though, that you were able to realize that at a young age. And well, again, again, I think that was God's way of getting my attention. attention. You know, that time at that space, and there have been things through the years that that's things have happened that you, it, it's a real wake-up call. Mm-hmm. When I was in college this year, one of my teammates went into cardiac arrest. Oh, and um, that hit me pretty hard, you know, how, how quickly and how fragile life is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm pushing myself, trying to get better and such. And I would wake up in the morning and just think, he, you know, he, he's not up right now. You know, he's laying in a hospital bed. He's on, he's plugged in. You know, be grateful. And, and that, 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 that was my moment. moment. What happened this year, it was, it was crazy, you know. And 
it was, it was tough, tough to, to deal, deal with. And luckily, I'd found my face by then. Mm-hmm. And I had the favorite spot right on the Missouri where I found my faith. And after, you know, he got rushed to the hospital, that's where I went. I went and sat next to the river. And I I just I was just praying. I was just enjoying the, the beauty of nature. I was sitting leaned up in a tree. Nobody could see me. I was in brush. It didn't even matter. But I was just overwhelmed with greatness and I felt, I felt like God, God was talking to me, mm-hmm. and what he said was, he's going to be okay. And I was like, okay. And I felt reassured after that. I was fine. I was like, good. But, I mean, it was still, it was shaky up for a couple of days. I would well imagine. Yeah. yeah. That's, and it's comforting, too, when you spend that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, good. I'm glad you've got that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it seems like we... You know, you know the, the just, just having, having those experiences, experiences is really, really I don't even know how to describe it. It's just special, special you know, know, to know something's there. there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, through college, mm-hmm. had a great time, mm-hmm. great friends. Where, Where did we go after college? Um, I, I came back. back and worked in the for T&J Cedar at a shake and shingle mill. I had two quarters left to graduate, and I just wanted to go to work. And so I worked uh, running the chipper. I had a small crew. And I was there for three or four years. And then the market went sideways, and... There just wasn't any work around here. And I went back to school, got my two quarters in, and graduated. And in the meantime there, I met Kathy. It was another friend that I met at Central. It was his wedding over at Hopewim. And she was in the wedding, and I fell in love with her that day. And we were married within a year so it was love at first sight huh it It was was. it was was. and we when When i got got married married, uh we we worked or i worked in the shake shake mill for for just a few few months months, and then the market market went went bad again and um i went to work for bob and janie rose for about six months and while jimmy was just their son jimmy was just finishing up his education so then we had we needed to get you know insurance and stuff and i i got a job down at the nacelle youth camp and that's when i started there how has your relationship um evolved over the years is it, is it like a Work, work in progress, progress to, uh, with, to build it with Kathy. With Kathy, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it well, is. is. There's, there's always there's always tests, and you know she's very understanding. I'm married way over my head, 
<laughs> yeah, I heard that actually, actually a lot, Jim. Huh? I heard that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they just, just look, look at me and look at her and they just shake their head. <laughs> he was the only option at that time. <laughs> no, I was very fortunate. She, God, she had a wonderful family. Her mom and dad were just the nicest people. Uh, just loved them. It's, we really miss them, both sets of our parents. We just, we talk about them daily. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's got its ups and downs. And it, what's nice right now is that we've got the grandkids. And I wished I would have spent more time maybe not being as hard on the kids as I was, and Matthew in particular, you know, he, uh, I, I don't know, you just, you're, you're so busy working and you're, you're doing this and you're doing that. And, um, it's nice now with the grandkids, stuff that I used to get all worked up about, yeah, you just don't care. Yeah, well, there is a difference between being the grandparent and, <laughs> you and just, being the father. Yeah, it, it is. You, uh, and, and, and Kathy really was the one that raised our kids because when I was at the youth camp, I was working swing shifts or night shifts. And night shifts are initially, and then, then swing shifts as a counselor. So she was putting the kids to bed every night. And then I would get up with them in the morning and maybe get them off so she could go to work. She was working for the county at the time. And... Um, Yeah. Uh, and then when I was at the sheriff's office, again, it was more different shifts and goofy shifts. So she was did the lion's share of taking care of the kids. Well, she did a really good job. I mean, you had very successful, kind, loving, you know, kids. And they showed me great, you know, I learned a lot of lessons from them. And they demonstrate how to be a good person. So I think you guys did a wonderful job. Well, we're very proud of our, our kids, and uh, and Steph's not afraid to call and redirect me if I need some. <laughs> well, Jim, I, I do think it is important that you know you let them know that you're proud of them consistently. I think that's a big thing to to for a kid to hear, and for parents out there that are listening, I think that's a good thing to do. Just to tell a kid that they, you know that you're proud of them. Yeah, it it is, and it's been real fun getting just doing stuff with them now. And uh, went up and did some work with Matt here last couple of weeks, and I was knocking down some trees, and he was uh, running his excavator, and it was a lot of fun getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's how, how Dad, Dad and I bond the best is through work. I saw you guys building fence the other day. Oh, we have a blast out there. Uh, you're like cracking <laughs> jokes. <laughs> yeah, throwing a couple good, you know, intellectual conversations in there, and then ninety percent of the time we're laughing and pitching each other crap. <laughs> you know, and that that's so much fun. I that's that's some of the best part of it. I think about my dad and a guy by the name of Wayne Patrick. Wayne was an electrician with the PUD and he and dad 
kept the churches going here just they could fix anything and i thought about how much stuff they could have got done if they wouldn't have spent so much time telling stories and laughing that's where it comes from oh they had a good time together that's what i that's what i enjoy about don do you get down there and you're just laughing? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, he's yeah, he's a comedian too. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I think that um, working with you know family really it brings you closer together for sure. And you know what's really nice right now while we're talking, Kathy's outside working. <laughs> I'm waiting for her to poke in here and say, "Tim, you're gonna do something." <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Um, so at this time in your life, um, going at your second job now, what, what, what was your passion? Do you have any sort of passion or calling that you, that you were really striving for or a dream job at this time? Right now? No. When, when I got out of college? When you got out of college. I just wanted to work. I No, I had, you know, I wanted to, work and be known that I was a good worker. I liked, I liked being outside. I, I love farming. I really enjoyed the mill. I love being out in the woods and my eventual occupation was the farthest thing from my mind. I never thought I'd be working in an office or doing what I was doing. Uh, Mom, always encouraged me not to become a teacher because she was concerned that, you know, you'd get wrapped up in kids' lives and stuff. And so instead, <laughs> this is where I ended up. Yeah, um, I mean, you just got to let, let, let it take you where it takes you. Well, and again, I think that's part of God's scheme. You know, I wouldn't have, the path that got me there was something you certainly couldn't have mapped out. Right. And... Like, like Trish, Trish and I were talking, talking she, she was saying, don't, don't be afraid to switch because she's had a whole bunch of different jobs and companies. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you try, go ahead and try everything out you can. You know, yes. Try something out. And if you don't like it, try something else. And right. Eventually, you'll find what you know you would really enjoy. And then it doesn't come work. You know, it's fun and it's just you're getting paid to go have fun. You know? Well, I've got a good friend that has had some tough things happen in their life. And, and she had said that her job, she used to just go to work. And it was a job and that, and that job didn't work out. And I didn't think she had been treated fairly by her employer, but talked to her last week and she's got a job now where she's, uh, helping people. She might not be making the money she did, but she enjoys, and it's a, it's a faith-based uh, job. And she gets up every day with a smile on her face. That's special. And it's just, and she's got to be early forties, you know? Well, I, I think that there's aspects of every job that you're not going to like. Mm-hmm. And, you just gotta fight through them because you know, ninety percent of the time you're loving what you're doing. That's 
that's, that's the, the best way we can do. You know, mm-hmm. that for that little bit of time that you guys actually can be work, that's just something you're going to work through. And it'll shape you in a positive way, I think. Well, and you know if you're doing a doing something for, you know, someone's benefit or, or trying to bring them along. And that's the thing. I, I look at your mom and her her career, the stuff that she has to deal with. But my hope was always the end product. You know, every one of us has made mistakes or done things that we shouldn't have. But as we evolve, we want, we want you to be a positive and successful and contributing member to society, mm-hmm. not someone just, and, and we've got that element now where we make it too easy. There's no need to change. You know, yeah. for a lot of these situations uh, that you see in the cities and even around here, their whole goal is to stay drunk, stay high, um, which leads to mental illness or they're mentally ill. And we've got, you know, you have a right to be crazy now. Uh, you don't have to, you know. And if if you give somebody food and housing and they don't have to do anything other than go out and find dope, what incentive is it mm-hmm. to clean up and get back on track? See, that's uh, that's really scary to me as well. Is I mean, if we're paying people X amount in, you know, like their social security checks, mm-hmm. they have no incentive to go get a no. job. Why? Why would you? If you're getting paid to be at home, you look at whether it's you or me or even was in Seattle now, people have to reach a low and they have to reach a point where they're, they're uncomfortable enough to start making changes and look what's happened in the big city. They, they just let things go and let things go. And now it's so crazy to where it's not safe. And now we've got to do something, but those, those are responsible relatively responsible people who just let things slide. You know, it's okay. It's okay. We don't, well, it's like being a parent. The hardest job in the world is being a parent is if you love your kid, you're going to tell them no, and you're going to discipline them and they're going to learn. And we've gotten away from that in society. Uh, how do we how do we fix this, Jim? I mean, it's it's good to talk about the problems, but without a solution, we're just right at this point. Right. Well, there's got to be legislation and laws come in. I mean, you were seeing small things like the pursuit of uh, felons in in cars. You know, you just. Yeah, that's just that grinds my gears. Yeah, that's good. Like one guy that sold a car was being chased by the police, and he called the police to report that they're not supposed to chase him. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so far out of control. And or the the pictures you see on TV where uh, people are fighting with the security, security to, to take, take the TV, TV where they're tugging on the TV. TV. They're not they're arresting, arresting the guy. They're, they're just trying to keep him from going out of the store. And, and the, the, the guy's, guy's mad, mad and fighting him. And, 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 
or the or guys, guys are just, just packing up boxes and boxes of stolen stuff and you just let them go yeah it's and i don't know if you've heard about the what i call the not my pants law so if you get pulled over oh they search you yeah they find illegal drugs on you you can say they're not my pants and you are good to go see you later yeah, it's, it's the, the dumbest, dumbest thing, thing in the world. It's, <laughs> it's like, like and, these, and, these, and there's people, people with brains, brains that are making this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't understand um, the logic behind it. Like in Portland, how they're legalizing all these heavy drugs. Right. I mean, the, what I've come to understand is the government sells it and... They're, they're getting, getting the tax, tax money from it. They're, they're getting the tax money, and they're, getting, they're, they're making a profit from it. That's, that's the only thing I see. And maybe, then maybe if they, they jack the prices up high enough, they'll quit being able to buy it. I really struggle with this one. <laughs> yeah, Portland used to be a place. We used to like to go down there for a weekend. It was friendly, and it was clean and nice, and now it's just a, it's a hole. And... So many places are, are like that where they've just gone down the tubes. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping that some of this legislation is going to start coming back. When I started working in the institutions, um, my boss, uh, supervisor, had said that pendulum is always swinging. And you, and it goes from the right to the left and then too far and it comes back to the right. And when I was at the youth camp, the first five years, I think I saw five legitimate fights. And then the Evergreen Legal Services came in, and our administration was running for cover. And there were times we'd have five fights a day. And you were just running from one. Kids were getting hurt. You couldn't lock, you'd lock some kid up, and somebody would come in and release him. You have to have these hearings. It released him before a kid got out of the hospital for getting beat up. Hmm. It just, and you look at what happens up at Echo Glen now with those seven, seven kids that escaped and two of them were murderers and they, they caught them all. But this is the second big escape just recently. And somebody, I, I just picked up, they didn't have it very long. On there, they said, "Well, the inmates are running the the institution." I feel and, like that's almost common now, too. And that's yeah. very common. You know, I feel for the corrections officers at the in prisons because here it's like one officer trying to be in with eighty inmates. Mm-hmm. You know, and is this this is probably lack of funding? You know, we can't get people there because it, it, well, there's. Yeah, they don't want to spend the money. The state, there's, I mean, you look at, they shut NACEL Youth Camp down. And I, I was very prejudiced in thinking that they were the best institution in the state because they had that work program with the DNR. Those kids, if we deemed they were capable of following rules and being safe, and we put them out there, and those kids learn to be responsible, get up in the morning, put in a day's work, and come home and were tired, and, and then they'd have to uh, do some schooling in the evening, but it was a great program. 
and the state's been trying to uh, shut them down for years. And now if an officer confronts or wants to arrest or to interview a kid, you got to have to have, you have to have an attorney. So you're a Raymond cop, you know, a store gets broken into, you grab the guy then or girl, and then you have to get an attorney and it takes an hour or two to get one of those on-call people to call. And then they just tell the kid, you know, don't say anything. And time-wise, you can't blame those officers. They got other stuff going on. And it's just, but then you get these people that are saying, oh, look, we've done a great job. We, we're shutting NASA Youth Camp because we've got, um, you know, there's not enough, there's not kids getting shipped up. Well, it's because the system is not allowing it. Mm -hmm. with, with the wrong policies in place, oh. it, it makes it impossible for someone to do their job. And this, yeah. is, that, that's, this is what they were, this is what they went to school to do. If you want to be a cop, I mean, they're trained to do this. Mm -hmm. And if you're just going to switch the system so they can't even do their job, right. what's the point of having them? Right. You know, I, I, it's, it's a scary, scary time, time for sure. Yeah. I just, Hope maybe we can switch this around and bring some discipline back into the world. <laughs> I'm hoping, but those are some of the reasons I like to stand up here on my hill and uh, drop a few trees and build some trails and yeah. mow lawn. And then you know this is a pretty safe place for sure. You know I I think this is a very good community and people are always gonna look out for you. You know there's there's. Very tight knit, good people. This little town of ours. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so at the um, the the youth camp, mm -hmm. you you did some like work with a lot of immigrants, right? A lot of what? Immigrants. Uh, when I was in the juvenile office, I did. I remember we were talking about that one day last year, and it really stuck into my head. And so my question is. Um, what, what do you think of the policies under the Trump administration and the policies under the Biden administration? What, what's the difference and what do you think is positive and pros and cons of, of both of them? I, I won't be able to quote one way or the other, but I, I think people should be allowed to come into our country. and But there needs to be the was it the vetting or whatever needs to happen when people come in so you just don't have people that we don't want in here i mean criminals and stuff like that but i do think that we are a country that was based on immigrants and we're going to continue with that and you look at our area now um the uh, you know what was it out here? It was the the Swiss and the Polish and the Germans, and in in South Bend, it was the Norwegians and the Swedes, and you have the mix. And then you get uh, you know the the Japanese and the and the Chinese came in to work in the in the canneries, and then the horrible treatment the Japanese got during World War II, the in, internment you know they they had. But then you had um, the Asian communities of, you know, the Cambodians and, 
and the Vietnamese and the Lao people after Vietnam. And they've assimilated into the community wonderfully. And, and now you have the, the Hispanic community that's going in here. And quite frankly, without them, our uh, fishery system and shellfish system would be non-existent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's too many benefits, benefits to immigration, I just think. With open borders, there's so many people that can just run across. I mean, how, how easy is it for a terrorist to run across the border right now? And right now, you're getting a thousand bucks and an iPhone and say, go anywhere. Yeah. Which is scary. But No, and that's what I, I think about uh, our country when you have a free country. And you're allowed to do just about anything. I'm so pleased we've got, at least hopefully we've got the systems in place to try to monitor, to keep us safe. You know, whether it's the CIA or the FBI or whatever. Um, uh, some of those minds that are doing monitoring and uh, trying to tell to keep out some of these horrendous um, elements, terrorist elements that come in that you know don't care at all about killing people. Uh, it, it's awful. I get concerned about. I get really concerned about. China. Yeah. And so, I I mean, from what I've learned, it's that's where the fentanyl is coming from. And the fentanyl, the fentanyl oh. our prices here, um, trying to ship it to Mexico, and then the, well, the cartel runs mm -hmm. Mexico, anyways. So it's just going right across. It's it's open. Wow. Um, my my question to you was 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 the Trump administration too far in the policies? Because I know you talk about people getting deported, and you told me I can't remember exactly how the story. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah. Uh, young man that I knew, good worker, um, great husband and uh, father, and really contributed to the community. And yeah, he had gotten in trouble before, but now there's elements here I'm not going to discuss, but he got set up by somebody and INS came and they shipped him to uh, immigration up in Tacoma, and he had the where or you know he had the means where he hired his own attorney. That attorney stole his money. Didn't 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 apply. Do he kept calling the guy? Didn't actually. I think I'm trying to think. It was a, a lady, but anyway. Yeah, uh, I had said look because he was frustrated with getting a public defender, and I said. Well, well, but they're, they're you know used, used to, to that, that system, system and, and, and that, that well, well anyway, that guy took his money. They shipped him back to Mexico. Oh, we went on. There we go. Um, yeah, he went to Mexico and he had to stay down there for a year or so, and then when he and then to come back into the United States, he had to be rearrested, and then was hung up in an immigration in. Uh, San Diego and it was it was strange he said that his first two hearings they were he, as he said he said they were Mexican 
uh, officers, and they kept saying, "Don't send him out! Don't send him out!" And it was a uh, a white officer that came in the third time and said, "No, you got to re- release him." So he came back up here, and he was uh, on parole for a year or so. And but the damage to his family was. I, I'd see his wife and she'd be in tears. And she she worked up here like crazy to keep the family going and they're doing they're doing wonderful now. And this is one of those things where you think of it was horrible. It was a horrible thing that, that happened. And there were a number of people up here who worked hard to get him back up here. And but as a result of having gone through that situation, they are now able to help others to navigate those issues. And so as horrible as that was, there is a, a you know, silver, lining. silver lining on that mm-hmm. to help others. And that's one of those experiences. Yeah, yeah I, think I think that's um, God had to put him through that just to, so he would learn and he would share it with others. Mm-hmm. I, I, that seems like a clear, yeah, clear sign. Um, but how do we how do we find that middle ground? Where's the middle ground now between letting letting people in and being so strict that everyone's scared? Well, see, that's I think the issues that we're dealing with right now. You've got. Trump on the far right, <laughs> and you've got Bernie Sanders on the far left. All my friends are in the middle. I mean, yeah, there may be some this way or that way, but society's in the middle. And But it pits people against each other. You know, it's like you put in a, you're going to, buy a house and they say, okay, we want this amount and you come back into this and you end up meeting somewhere in the middle. And, but that's what I wish we could come. I wish that we could get candidates from both the Republican and the democratic side that are more in the middle. And I mean, some of the stuff that is espoused by the far right is, it's scary. Mm-hmm. It, and that, that's this is my my main problem with Trump when he was in office is is he just divided the country. It was either yes. you're with me or screw you. Right. I'm like right. We need some unity in this country. That's what we need. Well, if we can come together and work together to yes. a common goal. Yes. Because one thing that I um, I can't remember who told me. I think it was Bobby. He said. At the end of the day, most of the time, Democrats, Republicans, they want the same end goal, and they have two different ways of getting there. Right. And I, I don't know how we can't relate to that. But the, if we look in history, you'll see what happened in Germany. You think all those German people were, were horrible Nazis? They didn't start out that way. It was you had that small element that then just vilified the Jews. And it's, e- it's easy to paint somebody or a group of people as the bad guys. We're better than them. Mm-hmm. And 
people are so willing to fall into that trap. And that's what's scary to me is to, I, and I think maybe that was one of the, another story that I, I had been working with the Hispanic community and there was a, and maybe it was when, maybe when Trump was elected, they quit coming to me. The because they, they were coming for me to to help them or get them into right directions, but when he came in and started putting up the wall, you know, he was espousing that. Those people, you know, they they like me. But they didn't know if they could fully trust me. Hey. And it took a long time before I could regain that, that trust. Because, and I don't, I don't blame them. No. no. Yeah, you, I don't, you, I don't blame them. That's a, that's a really scary situation to be in. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. I, yeah. Um, anyways. Getting back to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after working at the Mesa Youth Camp, what was next? Uh, I, then I got a job as a corrections officer and dispatcher at the sheriff's office. And that was... I like that. Working in the, in the jail was, was easy because it... At, youth camp you didn't have i mean you were right out there in the middle of them and i was in riots and yeah really yes yeah what what caused the riot kids were just acting out there were some lodges that weren't run as tight as others and in the lodge that i worked in we I thought we did a very good job and we sweated the small stuff because when you set sweat, the small stuff, you didn't have to deal with major issues, you know, and this one lodge that was pretty loose, they called for backup and I happened to be the first one running into the door and the staff were in their control room with the windows closed and doors locked and, this six foot two kid was standing on the pool table with a pool cue and he looked at me and says, you're first up. And then with a nice name after that. So I used my best verbal skills to get the guy down, but there were kids just running wild. And um, then we got some more people in and then we were able to take control. So, but it, it was violent. And, um, the, the corrections, corrections in, the, in the jail. Jail, that, that was, was nice. I, he, before you let them out of the jail, jail cell, cell, you, you know, you put cuffs on them and, you know, they didn't have to worry. And, and I, I had one officer tell me we had a, a pretty much a career criminal and I had dealt with it before and I had him put his hands through the, the Sally port tray there and put his cuffs on. And we walked over to court and came back and put him back in. And the guy said, what do you think you're doing? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you handcuffed him. Said, yeah. 
<laughs> I said, this is nice. He said, well, if you're afraid to work in here, you shouldn't be in here. And I said, if you're not aware of your surroundings, you've got no business being in here. You know? Yeah. And um, that, that particular officer ended up getting hurt later on. And uh, just by, and it was a kid, it was a guy about half his size. <laughs> So, so, no, I, I like, like it. it. Was there, is there any um, policies or groups to help these kids mentally in there? In the, at the youth camp? No, no at, at, in the jail. Or help these? Not, Not like, like there is now. now. I think, I think they've made some, from what from I understand, they've made some really good improvements in the jail as far as getting mental health people in there probably going to get on the right track and well, well yeah, yeah or at or least, least to, i don't know about getting on the right track, track but you, you come in and they're having mental crises and it you know it helps them talk them down and, and you know get them to where they're they can function well, I, I think that helping kids get on a, uh, or not kids but adults Mm -hmm. um, in jail, get on "quote unquote" the right path, mm -hmm. or you know, a safe path where they can they can change from mm -hmm. who they were in the past. Mm -hmm. I think that's something. Use it almost like a school. You know, and have counselors there. <coughs> they, there's not enough. Again, this is the the legal policies of not funding of. As long as you're not hurting yourself or others, it's okay to be kind of crazy. When I was a senior, um, back in 71, we, were, um, we went up to Seattle for our senior trip. And you didn't see hardly any homeless on the streets. That fall, there was a legislation change or, or will they, they, they shut halfway, halfway houses? houses. And that's yeah, where a lot of the mentally ill, they had to take their meds and they were, and they'd get them into jobs and do, you know, so they were positive contributing members to society. Next thing you knew, the streets were crowded with the mentally ill because nobody was watching. And, and you, they were just open the door. Really? And it's gone, gotten worse and worse and worse. Well, you would think someone would notice if, you know, they had these things in place and the streets were clean and the people weren't running around crazy. And then this um, legislation came in and all of a sudden there's homeless. Like, I mean, that, that seems like a pretty clear-cut variable, right? <laughs> you, would, you, would, you would think so. But I don't know how many... Oh, we'd, well, have we'd have these trainings, trainings that you'd go, go to, to and with the mentally ill, or we'd have these health, health mental health, health professionals. professionals. They'd come, come in, in and I would point out, out, you know, they need to be either medicated or, or more uh, involvement from, from, the, from counseling community. And yeah, they didn't like seeing me coming. We got in arguments all the time because it's essentially they said, oh, it's, it's okay to be crazy as long as you're not hurting anybody. And now, I just saw it last night whether you can bleed TV, but. <clears throat> yeah, that's another, that, that's another conversation for a different time, Jim. Oh. <laughs> we could go way down that route. Yeah, yeah. 
but to try to get kids mental health counseling. I mean, I've been retired for five years and it was hard to get kids the necessary counseling that they need. And it's even worse now because with the pandemic, you've got kids that then became socially isolated. And I, 60 Minutes had a deal last night when they talked to one kid who ended up having trouble. They said, well, what'd you think about when uh, the pandemic said no more school? And he was like, Woo, this is great until he actually got into it and he was, um, didn't get to see his friends. And I had a, I had a young lady who had gotten in trouble. She was, she was a handful and she didn't want to go to school. She wouldn't mind her mother. She was always out well. She got in enough trouble where she had to see me. So I made sure she went to school and she was doing well. And as soon as she was about 17, she got off probation. And as soon as she got off probation, she quit school. I don't need to go. And it took about three months. She was so bored that she went back to school, which to her credit. And she ended up being quite a good athlete and a, and a pretty decent student. And that, But it was, well, I laughed. Yeah, I'm not going to school. I don't have to. And then oh, all my friends are in school. That's like my, you know, and in my junior year of high school, it was, um, that's when COVID first started. Oh, yeah. Oh. And I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah, I don't know. Let's go. And then two weeks in, I'm like, what, what are we doing? Yeah. Hey, what? Something. I can't do this for a long time. Oh. That the time went on, and you, you think about all these kids that are stuck at home. Mm-hmm. What if they have an abusive parent? Well, and you also see how many kids we've lost in here. The school has no ideas even out there whose parents aren't. It's too big an effort to send them to school, or they don't want to deal with you know their kid whining about going to school. There, there's a bunch of them out there, mm-hmm. and we used to have a Becca bill where if you didn't go to school, you got put into court and the judge made you said, look, you're going to go. And also told the parents, if you don't make them, we're going to hold you accountable. Child neglect. Right. Yeah. And that's all out the window. now. Really? Oh yeah. I, um, so when I was in college, I took this class where I had to be in the classroom for 30 hours for uh, the semester. And they had a really small, small school and not a very good little town. I mean, it's really small. The school was K through 12, one, one building. And the kids would just not come. They just, and I would sit there and I'd talk to the teacher. I'm like, why is there only one kid in class? One kid. I mean, in small classes, six, seven, eight kids anyways, but there'd be one kid in class and she can't teach them to one kid. You know, you know, and she's, she's like, like there's, there's in the past, in the past I w- people, people would we'd call services, services and they'd go knock, knock on their doors and mm-hmm. say, you got to bring this kid to take your kid to school or you're going to court. And that's how it was. And she's like, 
there's there's no funding for it anymore. They can't get people to go, and they're so backlogged that by the time they try, it's it's too late. The other thing is it's down to such a large degree. Again, back when I first were started working at uh, at the county in the juvenile office, it was '92, and they had these at-risk youth petitions, and if a to having trouble with a kid, he they would come in, file something on a Tuesday. The judge would hear it on a Thursday or Friday, and then um, judge would tell me to do this. And if he screwed up on the weekend, we'd pick him up on Monday. I mean, it was real short. Now it's stretched out to a week or so before the first hearing. Then you come back for review unless there's a violation. And then the violation gets filed that takes a month to get that filed. And so by the time a kid would even get into court for messing up, he couldn't even remember what happened. Right. And it was not an issue. So, yeah, it's, it's there's there's no, no teeth in it. And, and you have to, I know that I'm not advocating, uh, and I, I was never beaten. But I got, I got spanked, spanked. <laughs> and every time I did, I had it coming, and I knew it. It just kind of cleared the air, and it was. And you make a direct, okay? I did this. I wasn't supposed to. I'd been told I wasn't. And man, I didn't feel good. <laughs> yeah, and you learn. And, yeah, and that's that's definitely going away. Yeah, you know, that's something that's that's fading and. That's, that's getting, getting pushed, pushed to not, not do that, that no. mm-hmm. and, you know, and I can say it's getting pushed because I've seen it in the classroom. I've had teachers tell me, this is, this is what you're not supposed to do. I would I advise you heavily not, this is, you know, there's some studies behind it, but what's the studies with all the, the people nowadays that are growing up and very successful? What, what's, what's their story? story? Right. Where's their statistics? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but it is a whole new generation, which is yeah. something that we got to keep in mind as well. Yeah. Kids seem to be a bit more fragile, but maybe I'm just saying stuff now. Well, but they, you know, they they thought the same in the '50s with the, uh, you know, all those rock and rollers. They were gonna destroy society and then in the 60s you had all the hippies and they were going to do it and then uh, what the yuppies in the 70s and you know and, and every generation they said well look at these you know what's happening but kids are kids yeah and so I don't know I, I still have got a positive outlook I I think things will at least I want to believe that yeah you know <laughs> pray on it anyways. yeah yeah um, okay. okay, so entering retirement, mm-hmm. what, was what was the, the biggest, biggest change? change? Um, <laughs> the biggest change was I was used to having people come in to my office and I could maybe help direct them or, you know, they would, they would come for advice or information. My family doesn't want to hear anything from me. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 Come on, Dad. No, no. 
Jim, at least you tried. <laughs> I, 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 I still try. try. They still not come on. But there was a bit of a change, and I will say that that was. I did miss the interactions with um, with the families because I I did enjoy the county because most of the time you know a, a kid had mess up and they got caught and they'd come in and they weren't they weren't bad kids you know you tried to help with what you could to get them whatever they needed or maybe didn't need maybe it was just coming in and having to come into some strange guy's office was enough and and in most of the cases that was it you know um so i i like that but i could see where people would retire and not have things to do. And I've been very fortunate and blessed. And then I, one, I've got, I can go out every day out here. There's trees that need to be cut or something of that nature. I uh, got big lawn. I was very, very thankful to Coach Pete initially and then to Jay that they kept me on. Uh, to be part of the basketball team. That was fun. Uh, and, you know, there were times I think, oh, we got practice tonight. But every practice was fun interacting with you guys. And that was, that was very positive. Um, I really enjoyed that. So, and now... I've got, got Thorbex in the morning. Social mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hour. Workout. 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 And, uh, Tough one. So, I mean, I mean we've got, got to come, come home and maybe have lunch and take a nap. And <laughs> go do something <laughs> in the afternoon. Wow. That's it. I'm going to bust my butt at my age right now so I can do that. That sounds amazing. No, it is. Those, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, those well, after lunch naps are nice. nice. So nice full belly and yeah, yeah. So, so it, it, it wasn't. wasn't I, didn't I didn't have a. a I didn't have a tough, tough trans, you know, transition into this, yes. and I and still I still have. have I, don't I don't get everything get done that I, I I want to, and I just, I just wonder. Well, I know how it got done. Kathy did Well, I think it's really great that you're staying active. I think that's a good way to stay sane and. Well, you you got to stay active. You, you, you can't stop moving. Yeah, I can't imagine not. <laughs> no. It's, uh, and I enjoy going out with my buddy on uh, crab fit, or uh, he's a crabber, but we got clamming. We just, we didn't go yesterday because it was blowing too hard. And it was rough, but like today, it was just beautiful going out there. And, and we laugh, you know, tell stories and. Mm-hmm. Uh, both coming out and going back, so it's it's enjoyable. So yeah, it's nice. I make a little side money. Yeah, too, right? yeah. yeah. I heard you're the top digger out there. Is that right? No, no, no. <laughs> what? No. You're sure about that? <laughs> not anymore. Not, not even. Not even close. Fastest so. digger in Bluffall Bay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just got a couple of questions left, Jim. But, okay. Um, what in your, in your life, life right, right now, now what is your, your top, top priority? priority? Uh, family. 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 Yeah. 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 
that seems, seems to be a very common thing that I'm noticing as I'm interviewing community members. Family is at the top. I think it really is a testament to our community and to the people in it that family is very deeply, deeply rooted. And I thought that, you know, that was one of my special values as myself is my family's always been my top priority. And I'm coming to realize that's, that's, Everyone here, mm-hmm. they're all family loving, would do anything for them, no matter yes. what it is. It's, it's yeah, truly amazing. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, well, that's what, what I, I I look I at all those graduation, graduation pictures, pictures of our, and they've all those kids have got great family support. And uh, I was this last group of seniors, this basketball team, what a great bunch of. Kids, hooligans. What they call the, the Elk, Elk River or Elk, Elk, Elk River, River uh, uh, mafia? mafia. <laughs> that sounds like them. That's for oh, sure. But, but they were just—they're all hardworking kids. Oh, well, well adults now. I mean, yeah. Backwards, so, yeah. And what they did this year in football and yeah, basketball, basketball and. Uh, well, they didn't track, track in baseball, in baseball but I'll, they just, they gave their all. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, and they worked at their game and it just, they were just a delight to be with. And as a coach, that's all you can ask. You know, oh, that's right. They're trying as hard as they can. I can't even. And they were kids. I, they were like you. They'd look at, when you were talking to them, they'd look you in the eye and they were respectful and they tried to apply what, uh, you know, you were coaching to them, and if you happen to be full of stuff, they'd politely <laughs> they politely work around that. Uh, coach, uh, you know, maybe I'll try. Yeah. All right, Jim, I got one more for you. Okay. Um, after you pass, what do you want written on your gravestone? Jeez, I don't know. I I tried to be the top digger out there, and (laughs) (laughs) most ever caught in one day, five hundred pounds. That's it. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't know. Uh, No idea. Well, now you have something to think about. Yeah, well, I'm going to try to stay above ground a little longer. Yeah, well, I don't blame you at all. But I don't know if you keep doing social Yeah, I actually put some effort into what I'm what we're doing down there. Yeah. Well, Jim. Okay. That was an awesome conversation. Great. Well, thank you. That was uh, a lot of a lot more topics covered than I than I thought. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. I, 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 did, I did, too. too. Good, good luck, luck um, this, this summer. summer up fishing. Oh, thank, thank you, you very much. much. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah.